Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 3 is a reflection that David gives of the dealings that he had with his son Absalom. If you read 2 Samuel chapter 15, 16, and even into 17, you will find the account of what took place in David's life dealing with his son Absalom. So just to summarize with regards to this particular psalm and David probably wrote this psalm sometime after uh, the conflict that he had with Absalom as he was reflecting upon it and he began to praise God for the answering of his prayers and we find that reflected here in Psalm 3. What I'm saying is that he's probably not writing it down as he's going through the thick of it. It's something that comes a little later as he reflects upon God delivering him from his son Absalom. Absalom was one that uh, David had loved. Absalom was because of David's sin with Bathsheba, and the Lord told him that the sword would not uh, leave your house, but you would have problems then in your life, in your kingdom, in your family, the rest of your uh, monarchy, as rest of your dynasty, the rest of your reign. And David certainly did. David's life and family was convoluted. Because of sin... And because of David doing things that he ought not to have done and not doing things that he ought to have done, it brought great confusion and chaos at times within his family. David eventually had seven wives and he had multiple children, which produced all kinds of conflict as each had a desire then to rise up and take over the throne. David found his favorites within his family as well. He had Absalom, and he had Solomon. So this caused then conflict with other children within the family. But with this particular situation here with David and Absalom, Absalom had killed one of his half-brothers, Amnon. And he killed his half-brother for raping his full sister, Absalom's full sister. Same mother, same father as David. So the sister was raped by her half-brother, and Tamar was her name, and David then, or or, excuse me, Absalom took vengeance. But he waited. Absalom was a patient guy in this sense. He waited. He plotted and he planned to exterminate Amnon. And he did it in his timing when he thought in his mind that it has subsided, the, the wrath that everybody thinks that I would have is subsided, so they're not thinking that anymore, and it'll be in this time that we'll come upon Amnon and kill him. Well, then David found out about Absalom killing his brother Amnon. He didn't kill Absalom. So the law of God demanded that he should. He ought to have put him to death, which he did not do. So he was banished from the kingdom in Jerusalem. So Absalom then moved down to Hebron, which if geographically, if you're thinking about Israel, Hebron is south of Israel. It's in a desertish area. So that's where Absalom had, had dwelt. It's part of the the district, as it were, of of Jerusalem. In other words, David had kingship over that. And so 
Absalom, as David was busy doing kingdom work, Absalom began to steal the hearts of men. He began to be a real man pleaser. And don't we know in this world how much that will get you? People love to be men pleasers, to gather up the things that they want. When people are flattering so that they can have gain, people love to give to those flatterers and those lovers of men in that way as men pleasers. I'll give you things that my father David would never give you. As if all of a sudden David is this unrighteous, ungodly king. So, Absalom began stealing the hearts of the men and gathering them to his side. What do you think is going on? Here is the beginnings of the coup attempt to overthrow the throne in Jerusalem and to take over for himself. So this is what Absalom does. And it's taken note of. And it's told David. Absalom is gathering men to himself. It's happening in Hebron. So David, as notice the heading of this psalm says, the psalm, which is basically a, a mizmar, is a, is a poem that's to be set to music, to instrument. David, the psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom. Now the Hebrew word there, as I said, even the titles are inspired. The word fled there means to bolt. It means to do it with haste, quickly. It was a sudden move of David. Why was that? Because there was a sudden move of Absalom upon the throne. And David was sort of a military genius. So David gathered his people and all that would come, and he left ten behind, and there were the concubines to care for uh, the house, as it were, for the goings-on in the house. David gathered his people, those that were with him, and they headed off. And now Jerusalem is the city that is set upon a hill. So there is quite a descent from Jerusalem to anywhere that you would go. That's why it said, let us go up to Jerusalem. There's, uh, it's quite an increase of elevation just from Jericho up to Jerusalem, and it's only seven miles. But Jericho is below sea level, and uh, Jerusalem is, I don't know how many thousands of feet above sea level, so it's pretty steep climb. So that coming down, that descent, would have been something of, uh, you know, it would have been difficult to traverse quickly. But this is what David does to save the people. David has in mind, and he knows this is a family squabble. This is a problem with me and my son. And because of me and my son, and because I have not done what I ought to have done, and because I committed adultery with Bathsheba, and because the sword will not leave my house, this is a problem between me and my son that I don't want others to get swept up in and, and be killed because of me. David understands. So he begins the descent. And they go through uh, from Jerusalem. They go over the brook Kidron. They go and ascend through the Mount of Olives. They come down again over the Jordan River. And they come into 
the Hebron area. That is strange, isn't it? He's coming, and he's coming to where his adversary, his homeland is. David is crafty. Absalom comes into Jerusalem and no one's there. So now you have the condition going on of men who would give counsel to David, siding with Absalom. Ahithophel is his name. Ahithophel in his day when gave counsel, people took note and thought of it even as the word of God. So Ahithophel sides with Absalom. David is in a stronghold in the pits. He's, he's hidden himself. He sends Ahushai back to Jerusalem basically as a spy. He comes in. What's the next move, guys? Absalom wants to know. Ahithophel says, let's overtake them now. Let's take them now while they're tired. Hushai says, not good counsel. David had prayed previous to this that the Lord would confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. And he does it by using Hushai, who says, David and his men of war are like bears robbed of their cubs. To try to overtake them now, these mighty men of valor will destroy us in the stronghold. Ahithophel sees that his counsel is not taken. He goes to his home and he hangs himself. Hushai goes back down to David to tell them the plan of Absalom. So God delivers his servant David. And David is recollecting that. He is recalling God's faithfulness to him. God's care and provision for him. Even though he has sinned and broken all the commandments, he is still the man after God's own heart. He is still the man of God's choosing. And it was blasphemous for Absalom to pursue the king of Israel. But that's what sin does, doesn't it? Now, beloved, again, think about this because we have a tendency to do this. We have a tendency to abstract ourselves from this. To think, how could he? Why would he? How many have been involved in family squabbles over inheritance? That you didn't get what you thought you should have gotten from your parents. Something was given to one of your siblings. And you became enraged and became angry and seethed. And it was the hidden murder in your heart. The same thing, right? God blesses us in spite of us. Despite of how we are. as rebellion against the Lord. And this is what David recognizes. Absalom was eventually overthrown and killed. And the rebellion put down. And David again reestablished in Jerusalem. But his son had to die. And following the commands of the Lord. Would have jettisoned all the problems that he had to go through with his son Absalom. Beloved, let me say this. Our lives will always be chaotic and a mess and a struggle if we are then uh, those that are contrary to the Word of God. Nothing contrary to the Word of God works. 
Nothing. Homosexuality does not work. Let it happen. What happens? No more human race. Because you don't produce children with two men or two women. Anything contrary to the design of God fails. I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, I once had a priest who was beside himself because he wasn't married. You know, as priests, we have the celibacy of the priesthood. And I said, well, that's why so many of you are pedophiles. It's a fact. That's why so many of you get sued and you keep it hushed. Because nowhere in Scripture does it call a man to be celibate. For a pastor to be celibate. Anything contrary to Scripture fails. So it is in our lives. So don't abstract yourself from this. This is one of the few times we have where you can really pinpoint what's going on here with David's life and what he is going through. See yourself in these troubles as well. Because there's principal application for us as well. Notice as it begins here, David says, Lord. First thing he does is he comes to the Lord. He cries out, to the Lord. Now I want to ask a question about that. How do we respond to the troubles that we go through? What is the first motion that we make? Do we move towards the Lord? Or is the Lord marginalized and indifferent in our life? Until we think that there is nothing else that can help us. Now we'll go to the Lord. That's not what you find with the psalmist. David is immediately going to the Lord. He begins to worship, to honor, to exalt the name of the Lord and to recognize that God has been his help, his shield, and his strong tower. So the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existent one, the eternal one. David is coming to the one who upholds heaven and earth and all that in them is. David is praying to the one, he's exalting the God who has created and sustains everything and nothing moves apart from his will. David has confidence as he comes to God. And he tells the Lord how they have increased who trouble me. Beloved, if you're a man of God, a woman of God, you're going to have trouble in this world. In this world, you will have tribulation. David says they have increased. They have grown. He is finding that. People have defected from him because they thought Absalom is the up and coming one. We better side with Absalom uh, lest we be overthrown. So many then defected and went to Absalom. There were the counselors that went to Absalom. Ahithophel being one of them. David, as he was making his way down to Hebron, he was one who was accosted by Shimei, who was a Benjamite from the house of Saul who cursed David, who threw rocks at David, who kicked up dirt and dust at David, and said, you're a man of blood, O David. You ousted my relative Saul, and now you have been ousted from the throne. God has cursed you, David. God is not with you, David. This is what Shimei was saying. Abishai, one of David's mighty men said, let me go over and take off this dead dog's head. David said, the Lord has sent him. 
the Lord sent him to curse me. The Lord told him, curse David. Here's a man who believed in the providence of God. He knew that it didn't happen by chance. But he recognizes the increase of trouble. Absalom, his own son. David is feeling the pressure of the world against him. You felt that way? Been in a family where you stand up for the cause of Christ and your family is unbelievers and they come against you with a vengeance? They descend upon you, they hate you, they ridicule, they say all manner of evil against you for Christ's namesake? That's the cost, beloved, of standing for the truth. Count the cost, Jesus says. If you're not able to go against another army, count the cost. If you're not able to build, count the cost before you start and you'll be looking like a fool because you started and didn't finish. Count the cost in the life of a Christian. Count the cost as one who is not going to accumulate all the things of this earth. Count the cost as one who is not running for a perishable crown. Count the cost as one who is going to stand against the tide of ungodliness in this world. Count the cost, beloved. If you're going to let your light shine among men, you're going to be persecuted and hated by the world. Believe me, people do not like it and they'll say all manner of evil against you and they'll say you're unloving because you speak the truth. They don't know what love is. Love rejoices in the truth. Those that love the truth love the correction of the truth. Love to be corrected by the truth of God's word. David recognized the trouble. Jesus said that same thing. You remember as they all got around him at the cross and howled against him. The world stood against the Christ. They hated him. Many are they who rise up against me. This is the Hebrew parallelism. He's saying the same things. When he says they've increased through trouble, it's the same thing. Many have risen up against me. There are many who rise. And beloved, speak the truth. Be bold in your faith and see how many stand against you. See how many rise up against you. See how many call you bigoted, narrow-minded, unloving, unkind, judgmental. Again, as I said in Sunday school, people don't even know what it means to judge. You're always judging. Do you understand that? You're always judging. Always judging. There is never a time when you're not judging. You are making distinctions and discriminations about everything in your life. This is good. This is not good. This is good. This is evil. This is righteous. This is ungodly. That's the Christian life. It's to make distinctions. It's to discern. To judge. We don't judge as God. We judge as those with the Word of God. People say, you can't say homosexuality is an abomination. I certainly can. And I judge that as an abomination because I judge with the Word of God. God's Word says it's an abomination. So what do you do about it? You call those that are involved in it, steeped in it, to repent. To turn away. Lest the wrath of God fall then upon them. Because it's coming. Against all those who believe not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many will rise up against the church. You know, beloved, when we had the pandemic and we limited worship service, but we kept the doors open. I got letters 
I got letters from members of the congregation who are no longer here, but I got letters. I heard things about me in this community because we didn't change. It wasn't my decision. It was the consistory decision. But it's pinned upon me, you know, pin the tail on the donkey. It's pinned upon me that I'm the jackass. I'm the one. I'm unloving. I'm unkind. I don't know how to shepherd. I don't know how to pastor. You ought not to be a pastor. You're hateful to the people. These are things that I heard and directed against me for not closing the doors. Do you think worship is essential for the believer? Worship is essential. we, We are those that need the Word of God more than our necessary food. You wouldn't think so in our culture, would you? You think it's all about the eating and drinking. It's not about that. It's about serving the Lord, honoring Him, worshiping Him, living for Him. We need the Word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone. He lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need the worship of God. We need to gather as the people of God. We need to be those people that are motivating, that are encouraging one another, that are stirring one another up to gather together, to be here on the Lord's Day. Exercise your gifts. Fellowship with one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Pray for one another. It's essential. And I know that many of you understand exactly what I'm talking about because when there was the distance that went on where you didn't show up for worship, the longer the time frame, the more you started to communicate. I I need to be in worship. Sign me up. Put me down. Let me come as well. And more and more people began to come. And the world hated it. People in this community hated it. People in other churches hated it. That we kept the doors open. Many rise up against you, beloved, when you stand for truth. When you do the right thing. Do the right thing. Let the chips fall where they may. Stop worrying about your reputation. Stop worrying about protecting your reputation. Live for the Lord. Let Him deal with the reputation. People are going to talk no matter what you do. Live for God and let the chips fall. David says, Many are they who say of me, There is no help for Him in God. Isn't that the loneliest place a believer could be? God's not with you. God's not going to help you. That's what Shimei was saying. That's what they said with Jesus on the cross. And if God wants him, let him take him off the cross. He said he was the son of God. Satan came to him. If you are the son of God. It should be translated, since you are the son of God. But this is how Satan comes to cast doubt upon the mind of the people of God. If you really are, why is this happening to you? So, David says, many, many. Notice that, many. There is a spiritual warfare that is going on, and it's a worldview warfare continually in this world. A constant conflict. 
It will not resolve in this world. It will continue until Christ the King returns and consummates His kingdom. Understand it, beloved. There is kingdoms in conflict. The kingdom of men and the kingdom of God. Satan is the prince of the kingdom of men. Christ is the prince of the kingdom of God. And they are on a collision course continually. There is a constant worldview warfare. Wherever you're at work, whoever you're talking to, you can hear, you can smell, you can taste, you can discern the warfare continually. If you're exercising yourself in the Word of God, many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God's Selah. Just think about that. The, the metrical pause, to stop and to pause and to reflect. If there is no help for me in God, I'm hopeless. If there is no help for me in God, what are we doing here? What's it all about? If there's no help from God, I won't succeed. But the scripture has said, if God is for us, who can stand against us? David reflects upon these truths and he comforts his heart with this. But he says, notice he turns to the Lord, turning away from the enemies of the gospel. Because they will always sink your heart down. Turning away from the problems to the one who controls and rules over all the problems. David says, but you... O Lord, are a shield for me. The world is saying, God is not your help. He is abandoning you. And David turns in prayer to the Lord. And he says to the Lord, you are my shield. What does it mean to be a shield? Literally, it's called a buckler. A buckler was the small shield that a soldier would wear. It was one that was on the arm. It was used to deflect the slings. It was used to deflect the arrows. It was used to deflect any of the spears or the knives. It was a versatile instrument that was given. And that's what the Lord is to David. The one who deflects all the fiery darts of the wicked one that are constantly thrust at him. The Lord is our shield and our strength. Beloved, when you're dealing with the problems, are you looking at your problem? Are you looking at the people? Or are you looking at the Lord? How quickly can the Lord turn all of this around that's going on in the life of the church now? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This was the question that the Lord asked Sarah. When the Lord said, this time next year when I return, Sarah is going to have a baby. And the name is going to be Isaac, which means laughter. Because Sarah laughed when the Lord said that she was going to have a child. And the Lord asked Sarah then, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Why then did you laugh? Why then did you chuckle? And just like us, you got caught, your hand in the cookie jar, right? Oh, I didn't laugh. She's talking to the omniscient God. He must not have heard me. No, but you did laugh. Why? Because you're thinking in your mind that something is impossible for the Lord. It's turning away from the problems and turning to the God who can deal with the problems, resolve the problem. He is the one that can bring an end to the problem. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord fights the battle for His people. Not us. Our strength is in the Lord. He fights. He goes before us. As Moses said, Lord, if you do not go before us, I'm not going. 
That ought to be the attitude of every believer. He is a shield for me. He is my glory and the one who lifts up my head. David as the king had glory. God had granted him glory, a reflective glory, but no doubt a glory. And now as you read the account of David going out of Jerusalem, do you know how he went? He didn't go with his head lifted high and beating banners and acting like a crazy man. He went with one whose head was covered. He went barefoot. That's humility. David understand. He was understanding guilt in his own life. He was understanding that these problems are things that have come because of me. And he walked with humility. Can you imagine traversing the mountainous region barefoot? He had a towel over his head in humility before the Lord. And he had glory as the king. And yet the Lord was going to restore that glory. It's God who lifts the head. God lifted David's head back up again as the king to reflect the glory of the true king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. Which David is a type of that king in which we serve. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up, James 4. God lifts up the humble, but he casts down the prideful. How's the pride level in our hearts? To say that we're not prideful is a lie. To say that we don't struggle with pride is a lie. To say that we are humble, we look to the Lord, and yet we turn to our own devices. That's the reality of it. Humility is that we are depending upon the Lord. Humility says that God calls me to pray in this situation, not to try to take matters in my own hands, and so I will pray to the Lord. Humility does that. Pride says, I'll handle it. I'll take over from here. The Lord's not doing anything about it. His pride is always going our own way, our own plans. It's a self-centeredness, isn't it? It's about me. There is so much pride in us, beloved. And it's false humility when we think that we're so humble. You're only humbled when you know who God is and you know who you are. You've only been humbled when you walk in obedience to the Word of God. You're only humble when you recognize the whole world stands against us and counts me as a fool for doing this. But I'm going to do it because this is what my God says. God lifts the head. Again, get out of the mode of wanting to please men and to uh, uphold and protect your reputation. I, I don't care anymore what anybody thinks of me. Think what you want. Say what you want. You're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of it. We all will. So do what you want. Think what you want. Assume all the things that you want to assume. Give an account of it to the Lord. I will take that to the Lord. What's the alternative? Be bitter. Be angry. Be vengeful. That, that destroys your spirit. 
that destroys your soul, that brings you into further depths of despair by being angry and bitter towards others. You can't change what people think and say about you. Live your life before God. Strive to honor Him. Forget about what everybody else thinks. That, that is so huge of a problem, especially in a small community. We're so afraid of what everybody's thinking that we're doing. What will people think? Who cares what they think? Do what is pleasing to the Lord. Let your conscience be clear. God will deal with the reputation. Deal with your character, beloved. Strive to have Christ-like character. That's what David says. God is His glory, the one who lifts up His head. He cries to the Lord with His voice. And notice, what a blessing. God, God hears our cries. God hears our prayers. God hears us as we come. As sinful as I am, as ignorant as I am, God hears my cry. The cry, this is not something that's secret. This is something that is audible. This is something that's being heard. Crying out to the Lord. It reminds me of Joseph. When Joseph cried out before the Lord and his brothers heard him and the other Egyptians heard Joseph crying out. And they know he was deeply moved in his soul that we cried out to the Lord. Oftentimes when we pray, that's a good method is to audibly speak to the Lord. To speak out loud to God. Not just simply, secretly, privately in your own heart. There's a time for that. But the exercise, try it, beloved. Try it when you're driving in your car. Speak to the Lord. Talk to God. Because He is with us. God heard me. The wonder of God hearing us. It is His stooping down to hear what we say. The God of the universe. Who is man that you are mindful of Him? Rebellious men. Even those that are redeemed. Do you know how much rebellion is still within our souls? Do you know how much of this wanting to do our own thing and go our own way is still within us? Do you know how much we sin, beloved, in our thoughts, our words, and our actions? And God hears the prayers of His people. And He beckons us, keep on coming, keep on praying, keep on depending. David turns away from the enemies of the gospel, away from his enemies, and unto the Lord in prayer. And that is really where the key is found to peace and tranquility in the heart, isn't it? We find peace and we find confidence that David knows that God is going to restore him. God is going to protect me. He is my shield. He will provide. He heard my cry. He heard from his holy hill. And David says, think about that. Selah, pause, meditate, reflect upon that. God hears the prayers of his people. What's your prayer life like? Do you spend more time thinking about your troubles or thinking about the God who rules over the troubles? That ordains the troubles. Now, I'm not making light of the troubles. Because things can be very hard and difficult in this life. I know. I understand. But the remedy. You are either going to turn and look at the problems. And be angry and vengeful about them. And you are going to spew and spit all kinds of nails and fire against it. Which is going to come to nothing. Or you are going to turn away from that. And you're going to cry out to the Lord who keeps us in the palm of his hands, who cares for us, who says, come, come with your cares, come with your concerns, come with your petitions, come with thanksgiving. 
and I will give you a peace that will surpass any understanding. It'll boggle your mind how I calm your soul as you come to me in prayer. That's what David did in the midst of a battle, of a struggle, of hatred of people all around him. And with the the intense desire of his son to murder him. And he turns to God and God is the one who hears his prayer and delivers him. He does the same for us, beloved. Amen. Shall we pray?